You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Good morning, everybody. It's so not good not to see you because I can't see too many faces now that the lights are gleaming on my face, but I'm sure there's a whole lot of faces out there. Those who are joining us online, welcome this morning. Yes, I am a guest speaker. I am not Nick Poole. I know I look a lot alike. I am just as good looking as Nick. I know I am. Deep down inside in my heart somewhere, I'm holding on to that. Uh, It's a great privilege to be able to share a message with you this morning. Pastor Nick and I go way back. We are friends from a long time. And I was just with him a few weeks ago sharing with him that I'm going to be planting a church. My wife and I feel that call the Lord to plant a church. We're figuring out what's the best time to plant a church. I would say right in the middle of a crisis. That's the best time to plant a church. And, you know, the Lord has been calling us on his journey for about three years to plant Verge Church. So we have some slides that we're going to show you just to kind of give you a little bit of a glimpse of kind of who we are. But Verge Church is going to be based in Collegeville, PA, not too far from here, right down the road, right? You guys can swing over about a four-hour drive to come over and hang out at our church. But Collegeville, there is a big need for people to know Jesus. And there are some great churches that are in the area, but the Lord is wanting to plant another church in the area. It is an affluent community of people. There is a lot of people in that area with bachelor's and master's degrees. There is definitely a high level of education in the area that we're about to step our toes into. We find ourselves right down the streets from Rosinus College, which is one of the top colleges of America, honestly, in the USA today that was ranked in the top 50. And so we see that God is calling us to this unique area, this affluent group of individuals to bring the gospel. And there's several people groups that we are finding that our heart is being uh, pulled towards. There is a a large number of people who have fallen away and have left church in that area. 70% of those who left don't trust religious leaders. We find that there was like 49% that believe Jesus was their savior, and then five years later that dropped to 37, I think it was, percent. So we're seeing a continual decrease, if you will, in those who believe and have faith in Jesus Christ, and the Lord is calling us to take steps out to go and plant this church, Verge Church, out there in Collegeville. We need your prayers. We need your prayers as we get ready to do this. It launches this fall. We're literally weeks away from launching this church. Now, if you want to find out a little bit more about us, find out by our team and staff and so on, it's go to start.verge.church, and you'll find a page that kind of sets you up with kind of who we are. I'm not going to spend too much time there. But I'm excited to be able to share a message with you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, any old school people here today with a Bible, you have a Bible, you're like, come on, right there. I almost almost feel like we ought to give candy out to those who actually bring a physical Bible because it's so kind of rare. We're so used to our digital Bible. I'm used to actually having my notes digitally on an iPad, but here I am with my old-fashioned notes because my iPad's dead. Someone pray for healing of my iPad because it's kaput, all right? So we have today, we're going to share from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, continuing in the series of overcoming the giant of crisis overcoming the giant of crisis. 
Philippians 4, 10 through 20 is a unique passage that has spoken deeply to me over the last few months. As I prepared this message, God was doing something in my heart and in my life, and I can feel him pushing and tugging, and I'm growing, and I'm being stretched, and I'm learning more of him. Are you ready to learn this morning? All right, good, man. Wow, okay. This crowd is ready. I'm ready. I hope you're ready online. Here we go. Philippians 4, 10 through 20. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me indeed. You were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. This is unique, guys. He's saying that I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I want you to realize that Paul's in prison when he's writing this. Kind of weird. I mean, I'm not really in need. I'm only in prison. I've never had anyone write a letter to home from prison that said that. I don't really need anything. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. Everyone say the word secret. Secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all through him who gives me strength. Verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more to be credited to your account. Once again, I don't desire these gifts, though he's in need. But he's learned the secret. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Are you, are you catching a theme here, what Paul is trying to lay out for us? I mean, this is, this is beyond self-sacrificial. You know, like, oh, I don't need anything. No thanks, man. No thanks. There is something that is a secret that Paul has learned that is being transpired to even today. May it be transposed in our lives that we would learn this secret. I'm amply supplied. Now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Verse 19, here we go, wrapping up. And my God will meet all your needs according to to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. How many have heard that scripture passage before? That my God will meet all your needs. I want to discuss it this morning. To our God and Father in glory forever and ever. Amen. I have one point to share with you this morning. Not a three-point sermon, not a two-point sermon. It's a one-point sermon. There wasn't much excitement on that. That really is good. One point. It's only going to take two hours to deliver it, but it is one point. I heard I had to 215. Is that right, Jason? 215. That's what Jason said when I was standing over there. I knew he was lying, guys. I knew he was lying. Learn the secret. That's our point. Learn the secret. We're in a series of overcoming a giant of crisis, and I think there's a secret that we can learn during this overcoming the giant of crisis. I'm not sure if you've known anything, but this past year has been a little bit weird. If you don't know that, See me later. We'll pray for healing for you to realize what has been happening over this past year. It's been a little weird. And there's a learning of the secret that I believe we can learn today or maybe relearn that maybe we have forgotten. 
Here's verse 11. I'm not saying it's because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I'm amply supplied. I've learned a secret. Let me ask you a question. What is this secret? Paul reveals in verse 11 that he wants to make sure that we all understand that in his joy is not based on supplied needs, but that the relationship is being renewed. How many you know? How many were away from church for a while because of the crisis that we have been experiencing over the last year? And then you remember the first day when you walked back in the doors on a Sunday, you remember what that felt like, right? I'm telling you, I, I'm not a hugger. I'm not a hugger. I'm a lover, not a fighter, but I'm not a hugger. I don't know how to explain that better than that, all right? I'm not a hugger. I don't, I'm a high-fiver, okay? I'm a fist-pumper, but I'm not a hugger. That first day back in the church, I'm hugging everyone like, I miss you so much. What's your name again? I mean, like, it was, it was one of those moments. There is this weird thing that Christians were so displaced and we were so anxious because, like, I, don't, I can't explain it. I just miss my seat. How many have a seat here? You know this is your seat. How many have a seat here where everyone knows it's your seat? When I went to church, I remember we had a seat. It was four rows down on the left. Those were our seats. I remember that every time someone sat in our seats, my dad would stare at them until they felt so awkward that they would move so we could have our seats. I miss this. You're literally, you're going to be, some of you might be kissing the pews. you be like, thank you. I miss you. I miss the door. We have coffee today. How dare you not go get coffee? I miss the coffee. I miss the water. I miss the hugs. I miss it. I mean, what's your name again? I mean, literally, we keep going. I, I was in this almost frantic wanting to hug everyone, and I'm not a hugger. I'm a fist pumper. How many found themselves in that place? You miss that. There is something Paul is saying here. I miss the relationship, and I'm so thankful, not for the gifts. I'm so thankful, not for all the prizes or all the goods that you're giving me. Oh, I am so thankful we are connected again. When the Holy Spirit is evident in your life, the Holy Spirit resides in you, communicates with other believers, and that connection is so necessary for us to grow and to mature as believers. That's why we need need a fellowship. Those who are saying, I don't need church, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Because what's the church is a bunch of people, and we're combining one another. We are actually communicating. We are fellowshipping. And the Holy Spirit that's communing in us is connecting us. And Paul is so glad to be connected again. Whew. Sounds like Paul's going through a crisis. Why? The relationship that was once dormant is now flourishing again. It's flourishing again. Oh, man, now, now I can have my friends back with me, the ones that are communicating with me and hanging out with me and talking to me. I desire that. I miss that. I want you to understand that part of the secret that we can see that Paul has here is the true understanding that it's not about the gifts, it's not about the needs it's about the connection with other believers that share in the same faith as him to yet be renewed again. You care for me and you show it. Now let's let's give me some let's give us some context here. I like the context because in scripture we kind of read it through the lens of our lens. Right now, America today, 2020. So when you're reading scripture, you're reading it through the understanding of our judicial system. You're reading it through the understanding of kind of how we experience life. But I'm actually not 
quite understanding how Paul experienced life unless we do a little bit of digging to understand the context. Here we go. The prison system did not feed people. Paul was probably on house arrest or he was in prison. They look back into the, into the scriptures and find out what was prison like. People outside the prison had to bring you food for you to get fed. <laughs> that's, that's, really, that's really bad, isn't it? You're in prison. By the way, find your own food. Where? I'm in prison. I don't know. It's up to you. Man. Then you're dependent on the people outside the prison to feed you. And if you're on house arrest, you had to pay rent for that. Can you imagine that? You're in prison. By the way, you owe me some money. For what? For prison. <laughs> These fine surroundings that you have. I don't even have a toilet. That's extra. doesn't sound like prison in Paul's day is too fun. It sounds like it's a very costly experience dependent on those outside the prison to help. Paul suggests here in this passage as we see that there is those Christians who didn't even try to help, but here these guys are actually helping. Listen, this group of people is pretty amazing. I mean, you're talking about a church that Paul references in, in uh, Corinthians, and you're talking about a church that Paul references more than once in the New Testament. This church that's supplying amply for his needs, the church that is actually doing something with Paul is a church that is coming from extreme poverty. Did you hear me? This isn't a church that has, what do I have left over? Let me open the coffers. Whatever falls out, I'll give you. This is a church that was in poverty, and yet they found stuff to give. They found food to give. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret to be content in every situation. Listen, contextually, maybe that scripture verse doesn't really line up much for today. You know, let's try to put it in. That's pop culture AD 62. Let's put it in a pop culture today. Here we go. Don't be so extra and learn the secret of being content in every situation. And the crowd says, bet now, for those of you who don't understand what I just said, you're old. And I want to share something with you. I'm with you. You're my people. My son told me to say that because I'm old. I don't even understand it, but he does. And for those of you young in this room, one day you'll be old and you won't get it along with us. AD 62. AD 62. There was two philosophical worldviews that were present during that time. One of those would be in Stoicism. It's a third century BC belief, but Stoicism, being a Stoic, is someone who remains calm under pressure and avoids all emotional extremes. Although we cannot have control over what affects us, the events that are affecting us, we can control how we approach those things. Rather than imagining an ideal society, Stoics deal with society as it is. So there's four cardinal values in Stoicism. Practical wisdom, dealing with the complex with the calm. Temperance, which is moderation and self-restraint. Justice, treating others with fairness, though they have done wrong. And courage, facing daily challenges with clarity and integrity. I've heard some of this philosophy here today. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you react to it. Has anyone ever heard that? 
You can control your emotions. You can control how you act and react. There was a self-help movement that came about here in the 1980s. They talk about rational emotive behavior therapy, which is actually popular today. That we can change self-defeating attitudes about your life circumstances. We can harness the willpower to give us meaning in the bleakest of situations. I want to share with you that scripture is never meant to be a, a, an antidote for self, the self-help movement. May I share with you today that there's those who believe enough in Jesus to be able to utilize the great truths that are found in the word to help us be able to control who we are, though we can't control what happens to us. It's this version of self-help, irrational, emotive behavior therapy, if you will. The gospel is not good self-help stuff. Can I share that with you this morning? It's just not. How many have ever heard, uh, know somebody who professes to be a believer, and yet everything that comes out of their mouth doesn't sound like a believer? Everyone know what I'm talking about this morning. And then every now and then on their Twitter account or their Facebook, they're going to put some great quote from a scripture passage. And it's going to be like, yeah, bam, check that out. Power to the people. That's right. I'm a good person. Bleep. (laughs) I've been around some individuals that are finding their way, trying to find their way to God, if you will. And you can sit in church and you can read the Bible. You can do everything. But if your heart isn't yielded to God, you will never know the deep, hidden truths that are found in the Word of God. You'll never learn the secret without knowing Jesus Christ. This isn't good self-help stuff. The Paul, the languages he's using could be confusing to the Stoic because it sounds so similar. Yeah, I could be content in all things. Yeah, I get that. There's something very significant that he says next that the listener would realize with great clarity he's not talking about Stoicism. But wait, before I share that, there's a second one. Cynicism, birth in 4th century B.C. During this AD 62, you had a lot of Stoics, and he had cynics. Diogenes was a thief counterfeiter and uh, banned from society. In exile, he thought by rejecting the opinions of others and society's measures of success, only then he could be truly free. So he became a person with a knapsack on his back going town to town and just criticizing everyone and what they did and what they believed in. And people would try to help him by giving him food because he looked hungry and he would deny it because he needed nothing from anyone. He lived close to nature without materialism, without comfort. He wandered around Greek cities with nothing but a coat making fun of those that are around him. Today, A cynic's definition would be a person who thinks everyone else is acting out of pure self-interest, even if they claim a higher motive. How many have ever heard that? Have you seen that? Because we can say AD 62, we have a common philosophical worldview of stoicism and cynicism. And I would present to you that we kind of have a little bit of that today. I've even seen Christian cynics. I have. Christian cynics, the ones that believe that no matter what you're trying to do, it's only out of self-interest. I'm not buying it. We find these philosophies today. But the gospel isn't just a, a book that helps us separate ourselves from society. We're better than you. I can't stand it when we think as believers that we have something such a good secret that we hold on to it to say, don't you wish you knew it? 
You have no idea what this is. We're better than you. But it wasn't meant for that. The language Paul is using could be a little confusing because it seems like that, that I've got the secret, that I've got something better than all of you. I know what it is to have plenty, and I've learned the secret. But both philosophical thoughts today were really, those, those thoughts are about independence. How many know that we have an increasingly independent country? You don't know that. Okay. All right, so let me try to set up for you. How many have kids? Anyone have kids? Kids that go to junior high or high school? Junior high or high school, wave your hand, right? How do we know that we have an increasingly independent country? I mean, my son just graduated high school. I'm so glad to get through the high school years. This might be a little bit of therapy right now. So glad to get there. I, I mean, it almost seemed like when 18 happens, there's a world that opens up to the 18-year-old. How many 18-year-olds in here today? Have we got a couple? No? None. Good. Let's talk about them. All of a sudden, the world is their oyster. This is mine. I'm going to do what I want. Son, can you empty a dishwasher? Yeah, in a minute. In a minute? I'm your dad. I said, empty a dishwasher. Yeah, I'm getting there. I got something going on. What are you doing? TikTok. Hold on a second. <laughs> Hold on a second. What in the world does TikTok have that I do not have? I have the power and authority given to me by the Lord Jesus Christ to be your father, to ask you empty the dishwasher, and by gosh, you're going to do it in a minute. I don't know what we're feeding these children, our children. I don't know why. I don't know where this stream of independence, this self-resolve, this I am different than you, and I make the decisions. I'm going to live from within. I'm going to live maybe as a cynic. How many have ever heard the term, you do you? How's that working out for us? Ain't no you doing you in the last little bit, right? You do you just bumped into me, and now we bumped into each other. We ain't doing you anymore. You do you. That's the cynics cry today. The stoics cry today is live and let live. How's that working out for you? Paul comes from without, not from within. Oh, the Stoics and the Cynics, the society that we may have around us may say, it's on you, it's your independence, it's your power. You take the power that's with inside of you and you hold on to that. Nobody can take that from you. But Paul is coming from without. He is offering his life and laying it down. He's being a man after Christ in whom he is totally dependent and thus not independent. Did you know the gospel message is about complete and utter dependence on the Lord. There isn't opportunity for us to hold on a little bit of me. Hey, Jesus, you do you. I'll do, I mean, let me do a little bit of me. I'll do a little bit of you. Dependence. You can't learn the secret without being 100% dependent on Jesus for all things. Can I share with you this morning, please, I beg you, in a time we're looking to overcome the giant of crisis, maybe the giant is us. 
Maybe it's just the independent spirit that's crying out that says, I want God, and I want what I want, and I want to have both of them, and if I don't get both of them, then I don't want neither of them. It could be that cataclysmic, but may I share with you this morning that you need to be dependent. Yield your life to the Lord. They are both, Paul and the church in Christ, are not dependent on themselves, but dependent on each other. That's why when we walked in the doors for the first time in a long time, I was describing to you, I'm not a hugger, but I'm hugging everyone. The reason this is happening is I thirsted for that dependence. I thirsted for that, man, I'm a part of the body of Christ, and I can't do this alone, but I could do this with us. I can do it being dependent on Jesus. Here's a clarifying statement that makes it all clear for the listeners, the Stoics, the Cynics, and everyone else. They might be hearing the message that Paul's spewing out. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, I've heard this scripture passage. I think many of you have heard it seen on Tim Tebow's T-shirt as he's pumping 700 pounds on the bench press. I can do all things through Christ. I mean, we've seen this. I can do all things through Christ. We've seen this on T-shirts, bumper stickers. Some of you might have it on your car. Don't wave your hand at me, all right? Just, you have it on your car. I'm not talking about you this morning. But I do want to talk about that scripture verse. And I think a little bit of an inaccuracy in which we see it being held on to today. I can do all things. Seems like all the activities that I can do, I can do them through him. It gives me strength. But in context, it refers primarily to living in want and living in plenty. How many have ever lived in plenty times? I want you to understand, I've lived in plenty times. I'm, I live in an area outside Lancaster. I'm moving to the Collegeville area. I sold my house. It took three hours. I had people fighting over it. It's pretty cool, actually, guys. It's like a lottery ticket, right? You're kind of like, yeah, who wants my house? Who wants my digs? You know what I'm saying? And people were like, yeah, I want it. I'll give you this. And everyone's like, I'll give you that. And I'll give you And there's people fighting and competing over it. And it is a blessing to make extra off of a house in which it probably they're giving me more than what its value is currently worth. Now I have to turn around and go and find something where I'm going, but it was a great time to say, man, I'm living in a plenty moment, but I'm just content. I'm not thinking about riches I have or something I gained, but hey, thank you, Lord. What's next? Then there's times of living in want. I remember times where early on in ministry, ministry didn't turn out the way in which I thought it would be. If you haven't actually done the vocation of ministry, give it a whirl. I shouldn't say that. It's probably the worst thing to say that. Don't do that. But the Lord is calling you to it. You're going to soon find out. There's just a weird sense of Lord taking you on a journey, taking all of us to a place of more dependence upon him and more yielding to him. And I've had times where I haven't really had plenty, but I've been good. You might look at your friend right now and be like, dude, if I were you, I'd be freaking out right now. You lost your job. You lost your car. Your dog died. You mean you're going through all the things that could be your neighbor, and a person's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Not stoic controlling my emotions, but I just want you to know that the Lord is my God. And in him, I am good. I've seen people face difficult odds, incredible obstacles, more than I've ever faced in my life. Might be some of you here who have faced cancer and have walked that journey and on the side of healed today, but you remember that journey. I've never walked through, I've never walked through great difficulty of losing with someone that was very close to me until just recently when I lost my father. 
And then you, you bump into people and you know other people who have lost their father. And when you talk to them, there's something different that's there. How many know what I'm talking about? When you've experienced something and someone else has experienced something like that, there's something different there when you communicate and talk. But I can share with you that even in that darkest of moment, not too long ago, it was, I'm good because I'm in the Lord. This is not about the ability to do something I can do all things in Christ as raising me. You're not bench pressing 700 pounds. Please do not put 700 pounds on your bench when you go home and give it a try. Please don't do that. This is not about that. This is about the Lord's ability to bring contentment in plenty and in need. Confessing that I don't have the ability is a part of the secret. It's just not about me. It's just not about me. You lost all your money in a stock market. You could be content. You just made 100% profit in a stock market. You could be content. You lost your job. You could be content. You just found the ultimate job. You could be content. It's not about my ability as much as it is it's about the ability for him to show up. This is where we can say we could do all things because of Christ's sufficiency. That's how we can do all things. Isn't it so refreshing? It's just relieving for a moment to say, man, it's just not about me. It's not on me. It's not about my decision. It's not about my power. It's not about what I have. I'm just completely yielded to him, whatever that moment would be. Secret means to be initiated into a mystery. And only initiated learn a secret of the fear of the Lord. The Lord who confides in those who fear him, he makes his covenant known to them. Something is learned in the school discipleship. Do you know we're all in discipleship right now? How many of you have been a Christian for more than 10 years? Wave your hand at me. Praise God. That's awesome. I gave my life to the Lord January 16th, 1991. I remember it because it was an absolutely crazy moment at an altar, at a retreat. I'm standing in the back of the room, and I'm clinching the seat in front of me. It's a pew like this. And I'm saying to myself, I hate you, God. I hate you, God. I hate you, God. I don't want nothing to do with you. And there's 60 or so youth in this room at this youth retreat in western Massachusetts. And they're all lifting their hands and worshiping God. I'm like, you're a bunch of fakes. Ridiculous. And I remember that I can't remember how I got from the back to the front of the room. <laughs> there's like a moment in time where I was running to the front of the room, and I don't remember it. But I do remember, on all fours, sobbing at the altar, where my snot's connected to the floor and to my face at the same time. I cried like a, probably a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> I'm just, like, crying. I don't know. It was, it was ugly. I'm an ugly crier. I'm just going to admit it right now. I ugly cry. There's people who cry. You know people who cry, they look good when they're crying? Like, good-looking tears. Okay. You're just so good-looking. Not me, man. I'm red. I'm a snots. I'm, I'm a mess. Don't want to see me cry. And I remember yielding, giving my life to the Lord at that moment. 
And from that day since, it's only about every day learning and knowing more about Jesus. I've been in the discipleship process. So no matter if you've been saved just for days, weeks, hours, got saved before you came, or whatever it may be, I want to share with you that you're being discipled by the Lord. And you're being discipled by his people around you and so on. There's all kinds of ways of looking at this, many different lenses. But I want to share with you this morning that in your discipleship journey, he's just want to take you from one yielding moment to the next yielding moment. You might be saying, I'm not going to let that go. That's mine. I'm not letting that go. That's mine. Anger? That's my defense mechanism. That's me. That's who I am. I'm not letting that go. Do you understand? I could be a Christian, but I ain't letting this go right here. That's me. I don't want to be disingenuous to who I am by me not being me. Just realize what we just said. The problem is the me part. As a matter of fact, our identity is now in Christ. I don't have an identity crisis. I'm in Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but who? Christ lives in me. You let go of that anger that identified you. You let go of how you identified with that in your life. And now it's about the Lord. You're just being taken from one yielding moment to the next. We have the worship team come on up. That's our cue for we're ending. (laughs) Wink. For those of you who don't know, the uninitiated, we're ending. He's almost done. I love it because the worship team goes, I don't know how you guys feel, but I feel so awkward too. Like, I'm not sure if I should tiptoe. You guys are great. A while back, I was reading The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you haven't read this book, I want to share with you, this is a must read for every person who follows Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, theologian, during a time of World War II. He was outside Germany, and he was writing to the people in Germany to keep the faith. As Christians were being slaughtered, Jews and all the other groups, there was a lot of groups of people. So this genocide that was going on, he at one time said, how can I write to them to keep the faith? I got to go. I'm German. These are my people. People begged Dietrich not to go because he was such a brilliant mind. He didn't really write a lot, guys. Look him up. Cost of discipleship, just a few other writings. He was young. As you can already tell, he lost his life towards the end of World War II. He was hung with days left of World War II. I believe he truly understood the cost of discipleship. And any man who's willing to lay his life down for his friends is a man I'm worth wanting to listen to. When you read his writings, it has nothing to do with him. It has everything to do about the Lord. But his understanding, his deep understanding of yielding to God is like unparalleled to anything else I've ever read. I read Dietrich Bonhoeffer when I was in college. That was in the 90s. Don't tell me you weren't born yet for those young people in here. I don't want to hear it. But I remember reading it in the 90s. I've read it in the 2000s. And I've read it recently. I can't stop looking at it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a book, Cost of Discipleship, says this. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? The believer is taken to a life of, of he's taken to a, he's taken out of a life of relative security into absolute insecurity, or it seems. But in reality, 
he is brought into the absolute security and safety of the fellowship of Jesus. At its core, discipleship is exclusive attachment to the person of Jesus. Overcoming the giant in this crisis is about yielding more of yourself to him and attaching yourself to the person of Jesus Christ. That is discipleship. Everyone can stand with me. This is code for conclusion. So what's the secret? I started with that question. I don't want to end with an answer. Crisis is the opportunity for disciples to step in and give more. Crisis is the opportunity for disciples to step in and give more. In plenty and in need, disciples are content. Complete dependence on Jesus in all things. Hey man, you might be looking back and thinking, I really wasn't a great last year. 2021 hasn't worked out too great for you either. And when you look at 2022, you might not be an optimist right now today. There could be things you're worried about that you have no control over. There could be things that you're worried about that you do have control over. And you might have an 18-year-old like me, and you're worried, just like me. I want to share with you that the Lord is asking you to let that go and yield to him. Yield to him. When I was at the altar, giving my life to the Lord in 91, I was just yielding, giving it over. I was filled with anger. I was filled with despair, depression, and I was giving it to him. When I got up from the altar, I kept hearing people whispering around me, that's Jason Riley. God must be here. I mean, they knew me. That's a big jerk who stood in the back and made fun of everybody, who hates God, who's crying out to God. God must be here. He was. And when I got up and walked out, the next time I was around people outside that building, they said this. What's going on, man? You don't seem like you. What's wrong? What happened? The world will be astonished, not by our belief. The world will be astonished by how we are changed by that belief. Let the Lord change you this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know if this is uh, normal or if I'm going a little ad hoc this morning. So I just want to give you a moment of reflection, a moment for you to reflect this morning. You've listened to the message. We've had an incredible service here today. But I got, I want, I wouldn't want us to walk out the door by saying, that was pretty good. I, I reflect for a moment. What is it that Jesus is speaking to you about this morning? In overcoming the giant of crisis, maybe the giant that might be within you, what is it that the Lord is asking you to yield and to lay down this morning? 
What is it that you feel the Holy Spirit taking you one step closer to the Lord? One step closer in discipleship, one step closer to yielding this. Now let it go this morning. Let's sing this morning. And let's allow this ending to be a time of yielding. Allow the Lord to speak to you. What is it? Because it's holding you back from understanding the secret. Let go. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 